Hello and welcome to Better Under Pressure. I'm Sarah Milne-Rowe, author of The Shed Method and founder of Coaching Impact. And in this podcast, I talk to leaders from all walks of life about being better under pressure and using pressure for better. I want to explore how we handle pressure in a world that is becoming more and more complex, the impact that that pressure has on our ability to perform at our best and what we do to be better under pressure. Filming often lacks rehearsals, you know, you haven't necessarily worked extensively with the people that you're working with. Mm -hmm. Just turning up on a set and then you're the last to come on set because the talent is last and they've done everything that they need to do in terms of light, sound, set, everything. Here we go. You're ready to go. It's a little bit like being on the starting block of a 100 metre Olympic final. And so if you're nervous, I just say acknowledge it. You're nervous. Don't pretend you're not because otherwise you're putting something like you're denying. So if you're nervous or nervous, either name it, breathe Mm -hmm. into it. Once you deny something in the body, the performance becomes very unclear. Today, I'm talking to Amanda Brennan, a coach and trainer of actors in film, television and theatre. She runs an MA course in screen acting at Central School of Speech and Drama and is the author of two books, The Energetic Performer, published in 2016, and The Craft of Screen Acting, due out in 2024. Amanda has also produced films that have been screened at the Raindance, Sundance and London Film Festivals. And she's most recently coached actors in TV shows like The Crown and Sex Education, as well as forthcoming films like The Yellow Tie, starring John Malkovich and Miranda Richardson. In our conversation, Amanda discusses what she learnt from standing in the rain for half an hour, what she can tell from looking at someone's feet, and why the training for actors can enable all of us to perform better under pressure. Amanda, I'm very excited about having you on today. For anyone listening, I have known Amanda for a long, long time. In fact, I first met Amanda, must be like 30 odd years ago, and we haven't seen each other really since this year, have we? No, no. Which is an extraordinary uh, reconnection, which I'm very happy about. So when we met, I just thought, well, you'd be such a fantastic guest to come and talk about and sort of go into a bit of depth on pressure because you deal not only with, I'm sure your own, as we all do, but also you deal with many individuals uh, in the performing arts world. You coach them mm-hmm. often with all sorts of things, but particularly, I'm sure, pressure. But let's start with you, Amanda, first. Okay. What, what does pressure mean to you? Can you remember feeling pressure for the first time in your life and giving it that label? I was thinking about this. So I knew this was going to be one of your first questions. So I was thinking about what pressure meant to me. And um, obviously it's linked to anxiety and it's linked to, for me anyway, when your sort of natural state sort of changes, heightens. So anxiety, fear, all of that. And I was thinking about when I would say, I don't think I would call it pressure at the time but looking back going quite a long way back to being probably about nine my family and I lived in the north of England until I was seven and then we moved up to London and my parents strange as it might seem I don't really think they had a plan to be honest because they didn't have jobs to come to we just moved to London but when I was nine they decided to train to be uh, publicans in order to do that they had to they had to go off on their own and they had three children I was the youngest 
And we were placed with this woman in Kent, in Bromley in Kent. I'm not totally sure how that came about. So I spent a year with my elder sister at first and then my middle sister came as well. And during that year, I suppose, looking back on it, it was about separation. And from having living as a unit of five to then being with a strange family, who was very nice, it turns out, but with my elder sister taking the lead, I became, without really realising it, self-servicing, so independent, you know, having to kind of look after or feeling that I'm looking after my own destiny, that I wasn't necessarily being parented. And uh, and that stayed with me very much. I'm sure it was emotionally challenging, but and that sort of instigated quite a lot of um, my traits, I would say, which is quite self-sufficient, looking after myself, taking responsibility. When they did eventually move into a pub, I remember at 11 doing my own washing, doing our own cooking. So really, I think I would say, though I'm not sure that I would label it as pressure, I suppose it must have been a bit distressing, <laughs> but uh, just get on and just look after yourself. And that sort of really shaped a lot of the way that I thought about what I should do as a career, thought about how choices I make, look after yourself, you know, just just that kind of attitude, I think. So I think that that, that was my first um, encounter. And also just being totally responsible for looking after my education. I mean, of course, my parents looked after as much as they could, but, you know, we all went to schools, but I became quite single focused. So very, very hard working at school, very like, unlike my sisters, I would study endlessly knowing that somehow I um, needed or wanted to have a career in some way and wanted mm. to be self-sufficient. So I, th I think that that was possibly the the first the first encounter with feeling some kind of discord or some kind of instability which must at the time have been a little bit stressful I would say um, yeah yeah and how interesting that it's I think it's really interesting that you've paired up a feeling of potential pressure or discord I like that it, with self-reliance so like the mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. output of that became self-reliance, and mm -hmm. you can remember that mm -hmm. at a very young age. Do you still do self-reliance when you feel pressure? Um, I just said very much. I think I've learned different. I think I do, but I also have learned other things as I've obviously travelled through life, going off to study theatre at the age of 18. And I was actually the first to leave home. So my two sisters that were two years and then four years ahead of me, I was the first to go. So I went at 18 and I went to a college in Devon. So went quite a long way away from home. I'd applied to a drama school. I'd got into a drama school, but I chose to go to Devon, which is quite curious as to why I did that. I think it was, I'm going to totally separate. Mm. I'm going to go and do my own thing. Uh, and I knew nothing about what I was going to encounter. And, and then when I got there, I thought, this is all very strange. I'd obviously done drama at school. And so I, I went down there and then... Also, I think there's something about the nature of training to be an actor that encourages the person to self-reflect and to look at your life and to become aware of things. I mean, it's a very 
uh, as a discipline, it's a real crossover for uh, for learning about yourself. And, and, you know, there's so many skills that are, are relevant to loads of different aspects of the way in which you communicate, how you explore your emotions, because effectively as an actor, that's what you're doing. You're drawing on you. And we did all sorts of things that I'd never even thought about. Bizarre stuff, but um, but very broadly creative. It was an institution and we'd get up and watch the sunrise across Dartmoor and write about it. And then we'd spend hours lying on the floor for some kind of meditation. And then one of the early classes was let's, we all went running. And I'm like, why am I going running? And a lot of the time I spent completely unsure as to what I was doing and why I was there and being a bit lost, but I kept going, which is another thing, mm. which is, I think, stayed with me is just don't drop out. Once you commit to something, you do it. That is a principle. So I was determined, even though the first year was odd, to stay there. But I think that training very much taught me not only how to be creative but also how to reflect on myself to explore um behavior to look at behavior um we had a whole psychology part of the course as well so so that was quite defining for me yeah and do you call on that technique or do you you know were you taught techniques actions behaviors to do that allowed you to have that reflection or have you just taken the principle and made it something that you do in pressure generally in that training we weren't necessarily taught techniques which i've later developed and i can talk about those in a second Mm. but what we were taught and i didn't realize this at the time because i think this is very common certainly common with arts training is and i say this to my current students or to anybody i work with you might not realize why i'm doing this but later on along the line you will i didn't know why we were exploring opening up the body learning how to breathe learning how to kind of mm. stand basically learning how to move and undo habits and um i didn't quite understand that to be honest but what i did learn how to do was to be creative was to think with an open, or to to be open to embrace anything that came. So if somebody just said, hey, we're going to go and stand in the rain for half an hour, it'd be, yeah, let's do it. You know, as opposed to why, I'm going to get wet and it'd be cold. You know, Mm -hmm. so it it taught me to embrace things, which somehow does something to do with how I cope with different situations. Rather than immediately reacting, I'll just, oh, okay, well, let's just think, well, what happens if I do that, you know, rather than block it? There's something about creativity which is expansive and it encourages you to to not reject or to not react or to uh, immediately block if, you, if you're taught in the right way because that's at the heart of some of the principles of acting is you, you, you don't kind of say, um, you know, are we going to do this now? No, I'm not. You know, it's like, oh, okay, let's try it and see what happens. Sometimes you could... I think with pressure, if you make the wrong choice, then it can either increase the pressure or, you know, if you make the right choice, it can decrease the pressure. But but that thing about not being reactive and not immediately going, oh, no, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that is part of expansive being. I, I, I was going to say thinking, but I actually have, a, again, a, a principle about that we're whole body. We're not just a thinking thing you know we don't just think and and we sense and 
and that is also where I think I learned how to how to just maybe just begin to read things, to read situations. So when you read situations, you can decide whether or not it's pressured or not for you. You know, you've got yes. a choice whether or not you decide this is going to be a problem. So uh, it's I'm going to block it or I'm going to, going to become confrontational or it's like, is it a problem? I'm not sure. Let's see if it isn't a problem. So I think choice is something that we encounter a lot in actor training because we're looking at behavior from a distance. Yes. You're looking at, you've got this story and you're looking at how does this person navigate through it, through their life? And I'm, I'm going to somehow step into their shoes. So how can I look at their life from a distance? And I encourage everybody to look at behavior, to look at what actually do they do in this story? And then how do we translate that physically and into action and into thinking and into voice and then into emotion but it is that need to actually look and think oh yeah that that seems like that that's what's happening there does help yeah. so now when I lead situations or when in the classroom or when I'm coaching anybody you know one of the things that you're doing is reading behavior and thinking how do I respond to that and we have always got a choice that's one of the things that acting has very much taught me you can and I believe this, that you can make a decision emotionally, whether or not you go down in one path or not. I can I can get really angry and frustrated or not. That doesn't mean to say that I don't get pressured because I do. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in a second. Yes. But I yeah. think when you work with your whole of your body, it encouraged me to actually be a little bit more sensitive to what I'm feeling. Yeah. And what what's fascinating, actually, is I, I was talking to... Um an ex-Royal Marine called Andy Salmon on this podcast last week. And one of his key themes when talking about dealing with the pressure of war, right, was he said thorough acceptance, acceptance Mm -hmm. of the position that you are in. Because Mm -hmm. the minute you expend any energy on resisting it Mm -hmm. or analysing it or anything, it's you have to accept it. And you you, you said embrace it, like, Mm -hmm. you know, and you wouldn't think that mess, mess, you know a war situation and an and a performer or an acting situation is in any way the same. However, there are principles that I'm extracting from these conversations that are becoming really interesting and acceptance of where you are in order to then be able to make a choice mm-hmm. is what I'm hearing I mean, you say. It, but that's also that's that's important for me as a teacher or a coach or somebody who stands up and sometimes gives presentations or, you know, as a teacher, you are in front of a group of people that can have an effect on you. You know, you are, it's a live kind of in the moment, you know, they come in and they're, they're a bit grumpy or they're coming and they're not interested or they're coming and they're angry or you get somebody who comes in late and disrupts the, the whole environment. And, and, how you manage that and whether or not it, it disrupts and changes your, your your trajectory is it is important. It does it reveals that I have got a way, I have taught myself, I think. And I think that it, how to, I'm not saying not be affected by it, but just manage it and just accept yeah. it. But actually on that note of acceptance, that is something that I often say to actors when they're ready to either go on set or to perform is, except what you currently feel. So usually that might well be anxiety, or it might well mm. be pressure. Because when they're, if you're, if, if we talk about filming for, for a second, it's a little yeah. bit different from theatre because filming is 
often lacks rehearsals, you know, you haven't necessarily worked extensively with the people that you're working with. Theatre, it's a different, you, you, you will have spent a period of time where you get to know the company and that offers some security and and some kind of knowing and safety, I would say. Mm-hmm. But just turning up on a set and then you're the last to come on set because the talent is last, you're called the talent, <laughs> the talent is last and they've done everything that they need to do in terms of light, sound, set, everything. Here we go, you're ready to go. Now this kind of is a little bit like being on the starting block of a 100-metre yeah. Olympic final, you know, it is that. And so if you're nervous, I just say, acknowledge it. You're nervous. Don't pretend you're not. Because otherwise you're putting something, it's like you're denying. Once you deny something in the body, the performance becomes very unclear. So if you're nervous or nervous, either name it, breathe mm-hmm. into it, use it, mm-hmm. use the adrenaline as the, mm-hmm. for the for opening moments, start the opening moments before there's action in your mind. Yeah. There's all sorts yeah. of strategies that you, you can do, but naming it and accepting it is very important. When you go off, like if your mind starts to wander in the middle of a take, stay with it until someone says cut, but register it. They won't use that cut at that moment anyway, but Mm, it's just mm. register that this is what's happening to you. I think it changes. Um, The minute you name it. I think so. Recognise it. And because when you recognise it, you can do something about it. That's the whole thing about awareness. Like Mm. if if you're aware of of being nervous and then then there's strategies which you can work with. And usually it's connected with breath and physicality. There's a set kind of uh, series of actions that happen. You know, the body starts to tighten, the joints start to get locked, the voice rises, the breath goes out of control, mouth gets a little bit dry. Um, Those are the set universal, everybody, that is what happens. So as soon as you recognize that, oh, my breath, and that's what I've kind of taught myself, send my energy down, start to work down, because everything will rise. As soon as that, in some Mm -hmm. ways, you have uh, lost control. Yes. Do you teach that Mm. process before the nerves or before the, you know, going on set or before the likelihood of the adrenaline kick? Do you teach that? I do. I have a a whole set of uh, exercises and routines that I encourage people to take, not only for in their performance work, but into their lives. And those are all connected, actually, with body practice. Yeah. So they're, they're connected with either Qigong, Tai Chi, sometimes yoga, but mainly Qigong um, and Alexander Technique. But Qigong is my is my, the, the thing that I discovered about mm. 15 years ago, which really helps the core principles of acting I work with are grounding, balance and centering. And they are... Um, balancing the energy so the energy is not too up it's not too what you might call yang so it's kind of and and got that capacity to get a little bit out of control and too fiery but you're not too interior that you have not got um you can't release your communication you can't release your energy in a in a community you know you step you're a little bit too inward so balancing now and feeling stable and rooting yourself is is something that i integrate into how I coach how I teach how I do anything with anybody it's a sing it's the singular thing I often work with people that have been acting for a long time 
Mm. they're very good actors they have skills but your body can go out of tune you know this is for all sorts of reasons yes you you know an event happens which is nothing to do with your performance world but be it I don't know a a difficult relationship a death uh, a lack of money a problem anything can happen Mm. that immediately Mm. throws the kind of finesse of your body out of tune so they're tools that you can use for for anything really that you just ground send you any and they, they, for me they they were things that I encountered at, at Dartington but at the time I didn't understand that I trained I'm uh, trained to teach um, Qigong about 10, 10 years ago and so it's just about internal connection it's about finding your balance and I know because I do it with myself if I start to feel at all that my internal life is getting over anxious heartbeats going my breath is going I just immediately plant myself say breathe down breathe down breathe down work with your feet the chances are what might have happened is in that instance i that you you move backwards or you you lose connection with your feet so strangely yeah, yeah, as it yeah. might sound working yeah. with that balance and that connection to the floor yeah working to breathe down working to center yourself it is an absolute tool for any situation and you work with the body, you have to recognize the fragility of that because people will arrive. And again, you know, this could be this could be someone in a class or an individual. And immediately I might assess the body immediately and think, oh, there's something going on there that's interesting. They're a bit locked or they're a bit there's some something. Usually it's a physical cue. It's nothing to do with yeah them speaking it's physically that's interesting that body's interesting we we start with those principles regardless before we start to, to look at acting this is what I do and I just say trust me this will serve you when you open up the body there are possibilities that your emotional life or your emotional expression or that you feel things that can be overwhelming so a typical area is the diaphragm. As soon as you, you start to kind of work with the diaphragm or you work with slightly readjusting people's mm-hmm. usual postures, then there is a danger that you can sort of open up the floodgates, so to speak. Mm. So the, the diaphragm is a very important area, which we I focus on a lot with in acting. It's not only to do with breath, but it's perceived to be like an emotional mm-hmm. center. Mm-hmm. So... It, it, I mean, it is an area where there's a kind of collision of uh, points from the central nervous system. It's a plexus point. So once you start to sort of open it, then it is a little bit like undoing the kink in a hose pipe. Yeah. So yeah, it yeah. is really important to, as someone who's looking after the person, to have some responsibility is to to teach resources for that so to say yeah. you know just ground just this if you feel that then you just ground so so that's another thing that i incorporate into the training is just to say there you you do have resources that can help you modulate how you feel and yeah. if that is being overwhelmed or is that is feeling all of a sudden a little bit upset then that's then those resources will help this is so relevant for people that are in organizations as well as people that are performing. And it's like any human being, really. I love your mm. phrase about the body's out of tune. <laughs> you know, because wouldn't what, it, what would it be like if we started meetings just giving us a, a moment of pause 
to just look at the body of everybody mm. around the table or everybody in the room or mm. or just allow each person in that situation to just tune in to their body. And this groundedness, you know, I, rem- I remember work- working with a woman once and the, the big the big difference for her when she had a particular individual that really she found incredibly challenging in meeting situations, just putting her feet, grounding her feet on the floor and feeling the floor under her feet was like a deal breaker Mm -hmm. (laughs) in terms of her ability to take back control of the situation. Mm -hmm. Um, And no one knew she was doing it, but it was just her own little practice of making sure that she, she could feel the ground very Mm -hmm. solidly underneath both feet. I mean, that's actually one of the things that I notice a lot if someone feels uncomfortable. I often look at the feet. If I'm watching a um, monitor and I, mm. I can see something happening, I'll I'll think, I, I know their knees are locked and I know their feet, they've, they've changed their balance through their feet, that it's on the heels or too far forward or lifted. Or if they're sitting down, the heels are not, their feet are not on the floor. I can tell by looking at the face. I mean, if you lock your knees on a close-up, you see the tightness around the muscles in the face. They become, they become really noticeable. Now, sometimes that physicality is necessary or useful for the character, of course. So yes. It starts with start with you and then make the transition and then come back to you. You know, come make sure you come back mm-hmm. to you. And that's really important when you're working with emotional volatility, which you might be doing in a scene. You know, yeah. that's the thing about acting, it does take you anywhere. But you coming back to you is a safety mechanism, you know, be that grounding or be that regulating your breath or be that having a shower, resetting your body because your your body, your physiologically, your body has responded as if if you're taking yourself to Mm. that situation, your body has responded as if you are in a war zone or being attacked or whatever Mm. it it is Mm. responding, even if you are somebody that don't uh, necessarily use your own uh, memories and you work more with the imagination. When you're sensitive to your body, you know that it is feeling whatever you're supposed to be feeling in that situation, whatever you usually feel. Um, So it's, again, these strategies are useful for just, I call it resetting. So it's just just coming back, just taking a moment and just resetting and having that as part of your routine but what you said earlier on about um you know in a meeting i felt that so many times in in uh meetings that i've been in actually when i've been working in perform, performing arts institutions and just thought yes. hey, listen this is what we all do but actually <laughs> we're not we're not paying attention to to yeah. to yeah, what yeah. really is instinctive for us you know like let's just take because often that might be perceived as a little bit arty farty or a little bit hippie mm. and it's really not it just is a real help to to kind of open the space if you like and I, I have a thing when I work with a group is where we we just all just take a minute at the start of the session where yeah. we just usually we sit in a circle and we just be in the circle and it might only be a minute but it's just land and be in that circle if you're not in that circle I say are you going to join us and then I'm like, well, I'm joining us. No, you're not. You're not in the circle. You're sitting out of the circle. Come in. Do you not want to be here? And they're like, yeah, well, come in then. And it's just those things help to hold a group. In theatre or film, you're always working with different groups. Yeah. You're working with a group for a short period of time. It might be a weekend. It might be 
it might be five months and that each group has a different energy so how do you find mm-hmm. your place in that energy on set i'm not in a position a leadership position but it is uh, very very interesting to it go into be. different environments and just think oh this is a dysfunctional environment yeah it's not and and it's a group that you are like dropping into and dropping back out again mm. so there's not a lot of time to connect as a group because in a way you're a visitor doing your bit and then you're going again and I think you know this is that this has got so much relevance because I think a lot of us are dropping in and out of different Mm -hmm. groups how do you bring the whole of yourself in a way that is authentic and you in those moments when actually Mm -hmm. you're not there maybe very often Mm -hmm. how do you do that um that's before you put a layer of acting the character Mm -hmm. on top of it right Mm -hmm. what you're saying here is really helpful just in in terms of this whole grounding and and taking a moment to be it's also observing how you are affected by the environments and just not letting an environment which maybe is chaotic to uh, overchange your energy again accept it oh this seems a little bit frantic am i going to get caught up with the franticness or are i going to stay and just be where I think I need to be in this situation. And usually it's that. It's let's let's just stay calm, um, in touch with the person. I'm often working with one person. And so that's my focus. My focus is that person. Are they okay? They're not going to be, um, again, affected by the, the kind of often chaos or often maybe personalities mm-hmm. um, that might be being over controlling. There's all sorts of different energies. You know, when you've got 150 people in one place, there's different energies going on. It's obviously, when it's smaller, when it's a, when it's something that I've produced, because I produce quite a lot, and I'm on set, and I'm then I choose the people carefully if I can, and just say this feels important that we're not shouting at each other or why not losing our, our minds with yeah. running out of time just and the way to do that is preparation you know and just and, and very often we're under time pressures and the time pressure to get something shot and completed and there's so many situations where you think this is not realistic there is no way this amount of things are going to get shot yeah in this day yeah. it's not happening um and that's poor poor planning so if yeah. I have the control over the planning, I'm realistic as to what can be done. Mm. But very often I don't because I'm going in just as often to solve a problem or the actors ask me to be there. It's to support them. And, and it's quite a lonely experience in that supporting. It's just making sure that they feel they've got somebody that they can just be with sometimes mm. and just mm-hmm. come back and say, hey, listen, you know, that was interesting. What just happened? Why don't we try it in another way? Or mm. how's your breath or how are you feeling or whatever? Mm. Those kind of things, which are often forgotten, actually, that you're dealing that we're dealing with an element of, uh, of again, fragility. Um, yeah. And what I love about this is it's like the original meaning of coach (laughs) is that you've got somebody in real time with you in the real situation, coaching you to manage the situation as well as they possibly can. If you're lucky, you know, because it's not necessarily widely used on sets, unfortunately, you know, even with young actors. And that's unfortunate. I know it might be a cost factor, but if you work in sport or the work that you do, Sarah in big teams 
Mm. You, you could really see the, the benefits of it, but in the arts, it's not it's not as used as as perhaps it it could be. Yeah, but you say that, but often the work that we're doing is in a one or a two day event that is about you know leadership or it's about mm. you know getting clearer on the strategy, and it's mm. been sort of isolated. What I think is interesting is that often we feel we could add even more value if we're in real time in the Mm -hmm. actual Mm day-to-day pressure that these leaders are operating under. And you're literally Mm -hmm. there by them, like you are with your actor going, Mm -hmm. how was that? What happened there? Right, let's shift this. Let's fine tune Mm -hmm. that. Let's do that. That is the essence in a way of being a coach Mm -hmm. to high performance. Yes, because yeah. it, you can't sort of do it in isolation. I mean, you can, I think what you're saying is you can, and, and I've heard this a lot, and it was the same when I was speaking to Andy Salmon as well, is a drill that you can do outside of the pressure situation yeah. that you can train in and you can drill and you can get familiar with it. Because in the pressure situation, you've got so many other chemicals running through your body and all the other environmental challenges that are going on around you. It puts anything that you think you know under pressure in itself. And with an actor, of course, you've got a whole load of, script that you're remembering as well as managing Mm. yourself and everything else so Mm. I think to have this idea of a drill that's going to go on to enable you to be better under pressure that you can go right I'm embracing that I'm Mm. taking a moment I'm going to pause oh my body's not quite in tune what Mm. can I do oh I know I need to ground it because I've been taught I know how to do that I think many many people Mm. that we work with in organizations miss that They haven't had that opportunity and they're dealing with massive great pressures and the training or the drill or the sense of experimentation that might enable them to work on the practice that's going to best serve them in those moments is missed. And Mm -hmm. I think that's partly the, 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 the interest of doing this podcast is to understand from various different experts, you know, how do you do that? You know, if someone's Mm -hmm. listening to it, how do you do it? Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to say one thing that I think is so fascinating with what you're saying is I often hear particularly when working with people in organizations on presentations. Oh, Sarah, I, I don't want to perform. I don't want to, you know, that I, I need to be myself. I don't want to, I don't want to pretend I'm somebody else. And actually what you're so beautifully brought something up for me when you were talking about the actor's role is to go between what's happening with themselves and the character and check back in themselves. So it's not like they're not being themselves at all. Themselves are absolutely part of mm the authentic performance mm-hmm. absolutely because they're using their own body you can't yes not. no you can't not so there's a debate in acting about how much you use your own personal experience in my opinion you can't not even when you start imaginative work and you say okay everybody just think about a beach you'll think about a beach that you've been to there's no doubt and then when you then you'll start to shade and bring the imagination in but at first you you, you deal with your own references but yet yeah, having a rigor about and strategies and resources that you you can do, um, I think is a real help. It's like your toolkit, your toolbox. Yes. We often talk about a toolkit in acting. If you've got a toolkit, I think it gives you confidence. It's not like you're, yeah. you know, oh, I don't really know, I don't know what I'm doing. No, always know what you're doing and always know that you know what you're doing. Even if you actually don't, that's also something. You know, yes. Know yes. what you're doing, know yes. it and just say, I feel okay about doing this. That's the premise that I always work on, that I, I will know more than I, I know what I'm doing. And that comes from 
planning, it comes from knowing your topic, it comes from always thinking there's more to learn. When I, I wrote my first book, I started to, to read a lot about biology. I went on a whole two-year training course on anatomy and physiology that cranial sacrotherapists do. At one point, I thought, oh my God, that's so interesting. I think I want to go and do that. I don't even want to train actors anymore. <laughs> but it just taught me also, we never stop learning. And if we if, if you think you know it all, then then you, you're really onto a loser. So it's just yeah. keeping thinking I'm learning from working with, with each person. But I usually start all my sessions in the same way. And that's not because I lack imagination. It's because this is the rigor. We yeah. start with your body. We start yeah. with how you feel. We start with connecting in with your breath. We start with working out where your balance is. Where your what's your thoughts like? Are they racing or are they slow or are they? Is there parts of your body you can't feel? Are you in the present? Are you in the past? Are you are you are you are you in the future? Where's the mind? When we look at a script, I'll say they're in the past, present, or future. What's this thought? Oh, they're talking about a memory. Well, they're in the past. Okay. So you know, when you start to understand that the mind navigates itself like very, very quickly and can, can very easily get out of sync with the present. Yes. So learning, you know, just saying I'm present to who I'm speaking to. But I have gone into the past for a second. Oh, then now I'm coming back to you. And, yes. and it's milliseconds because I work with the idea that each thought is a beat. So I work quite meticulously on thoughts because on camera you can see there's a detail in that. And so... You know, if you stay with your thoughts and you think, oh, I've gone, I've gone off. OK, well, how can I come back? I'll come back. And that often happens in presentations. It sometimes happens yeah, yeah. in meetings. It sometimes happens in ordinary conversations. Conversations. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but but if you're in it. Yeah. If you're in a, a situation, then also just, again, recognize that. Oh, I've gone. I've gone. Come back. Yes. In, yes. And, and and that's that's quite useful. Um, my thoughts are racing. Well, let's try and find a way of bringing them back. Let's try and connect and, and know your own natural tempo and yes. know what happens to my body when I stand up in front of a group of people. I'm dealing with a difficult situation. I feel out of my depth. And once you begin to explore that, that gives you an element of command over it. And then there's also the ongoing training, which is to do with tuning, really. Connect mm. Most people... There's about four or five places where people disconnect and the pelvis is one of them. And pelvic, uh, and learning to, to think, oh, I'm not going to stand with locked legs while I'm waiting for a bus or a tube. or, or it, All of that is a useful thing to take into, take into communication. With. Yes. So interesting you mentioned the pelvis. I, I mean, I've had a real um, journey connecting with my pelvis. <laughs> you know, like I had an experience where... I could really feel my breath down in my pelvis and the freedom that gave to what I wanted to say, what I felt about the situation was incredible. Mm. And I now have a mantra, get, get, get into your pelvis. Mm. But when you say that to people that are not familiar with, with, you know, body oh, practice think, or acting, they think you're mad. absolutely bonkers. Yeah. Know? Let's just work with the pelvis. Yeah. Um, why? <laughs> Yeah. Even sometimes we say, can we connect into your breath? I, I get, yeah, yeah. Know, if I've worked, because I have worked in a similar way to you with people that are, you know, in business, there is sometimes that, oh, I don't know. I really, 
I really don't know what you're talking about connecting no. to your breath. Um, but no. well, because I think in our formative education, we're, we're not necessarily taught that unless you're trained to be an actor or a dancer or a musician yeah. or you've, what, you, yeah. you, you've not got that literacy with your body to understand. It's sad, sad, actually. It is because it is your main instrument wherever you are in the world, really. And as you say, you're reading signals. I mean, if you look at one of your jobs, you said was looking to see where the tension is in the body and you can see something in someone's face and know that there's something going on with their feet that's so um acute isn't it in mm. terms of the difference these connections can mm. make and i'm sure if we were a bit more alert to it and took the responsibility out of our cognitive capacity sometimes and put it somewhere else we'd have so much more resource available to us mm. in terms of our impact in terms of our our presence our power particularly in moments of pressure Absolutely. For an art that is so often associated with scripts and words, I'm really inspired by how much attention Amanda pays to the energy and body of the performer. She said something that really resonated with me. Once you deny something in your body, then the performance becomes very unclear. Gosh, this rings so true, whether you're an actor or not. We've all heard people speak who are saying very helpful, possibly inspiring or even profound truths if they were written down. And yet for some reason, we just don't believe them when they're speaking. It feels out of sync on some level. We all have moments in our days and weeks, regardless of our profession, where we're performing and need to have our energy balanced and centered. I think noticing where your energy is in your body is an increasingly vital daily practice, whatever we do, whoever we are. So here are a few things that Amanda shared which I feel are worth reiterating. One, I love that she notices what people's feet are doing to understand how they are feeling. So bring the energy down to our feet, literally. Feel whether we're on the front or back foot in moments of pressure, or whether we're tilting forward or leaning back on our heels. And instead, take time to feel grounded across the base of the whole foot, connecting to the floor rooting ourselves, unlocking our knees so that we can unlock the tension in our jaw. Who knew? Two, acknowledge that our body can go out of tune, just like a piano. And just like a piano, we need regular fine tuning for all kinds of internal and external reasons. Not many of us would relish playing an instrument out of tune, and yet particularly in pressure moments, we will try and play ourselves out of tune and bypass our own fine tuning. Amanda suggests noticing whether the energy is up or down our body, or whether it's focused inwards or outwards. It's a different way of thinking about our connection with ourselves in pressure moments. I like the fine-tuning technique Amanda offers to performers. First, recognise it, then name it, breathe it down, love that, and use it. When we recognise it, we can use it. That wonderful phrase that Amanda uses, find ways to come back to you. Three, remember we give away physical clues all the time. We spend so much of our energy thinking rationally about the words we want to say, and yet our body is already speaking to us and to other people, often unconsciously. I love a quote from Kaja Urbaniak that encapsulates this so perfectly. She says, the words you speak carry information and your body tells the other person how to feel about that information. Notice accept and stay connected to what we can control and we always have control of us. It feels like we haven't, I know, but we have resources. As Amanda says, build our own toolkit of resources because when we have that, 
It gives us confidence as we can apply the practice and take control. The bottom line is it always starts with the body. We have more resources available to us that cost absolutely nothing. Breath, for example. And it's down to us to grow our own literacy with our body. Then we can boss our responses rather than let our responses boss us. What would you say has been the worst pressure that you have ever experienced? You. Well, there's two. And one <laughs> of them was, there's two big things. And one was very recent. And one was when my mother was uh, really ill and dying and, and taking responsibility for that or going mm. to see her every day. And she was in her home and it was just the most stressful. I, I would leave, would go and feel very not sure as to what I was coping with. And then I would leave just still. My The stress is, it's like it's beyond my body. I felt so unable to, I mean, she's just going every day and working with it, but knowing that she was dying. She had a, um, an illness called basal cortical degeneration, which is basically this part of the brain, which is the size of a pea, responsible for your coordination, movement, speech, and gradually that declined. So over time, she could not speak or look after herself. So seeing the decline was mm. absolutely heartbreaking. But then dealing with her uh, was also, you know, very, very difficult. And so that was possibly the most stressful experience. And then and then uh, I remember be, doing some coaching with a couple of people at the time on a series. And and it would be, oh, th this particular person was in America. And they're like, I'm, I'm going to, um, can, can we make it six o'clock? Okay, knowing that that was difficult because that was the time that I went to, you know, maybe meet my mum. But I'd go meet her early, rush home. And then it would be, oh, sorry, something's coming up. I can't make it. That happened a couple of times with this particular client, which pushed me a little bit <laughs> emotionally. Yeah. And then the other time recently was I had a, a collision uh, it was only about six weeks ago. It was really early in the morning. I was on the way to uh, Luton Airport. It was 4.15, ironically going on a retreat to do a week of Qigong. And I was at the lights. The lights went green and two people on motorbikes jumped the lights. One of them went straight into me and then skidded and landed in the middle of the road. I stopped my car and... <laughs> he was not moving and just I absolutely thought that he was dead mm. and the other person mm. on the bike just disappeared and left me there with him I have never experienced the physiological response that happened to me at that I, my loss of memory my body just went totally out of control I couldn't remember what road we were in and it's near my house uh, I couldn't I was incapable totally and he was dealt with got into hospital I then carried on and quite in a bizarre way uh went to the retreat and I'm not quite sure how I managed it was in Greece how I managed to get there but the the uh, stress levels in my body was that night I couldn't breathe and this is an I'm somebody who works with breath yeah. I lost my capacity to breathe and it was really on reflection interesting <laughs> but mm. not nice at all. It was extreme. Mm. It felt like it was uh, an extreme loss of, of control. And yes. a reminder of just the power of the nervous system, really. Yes. How, wow. And mm. totally unexpected. So, you know, you couldn't have like... Shock. Yeah, shock. Yeah. It was shock. And, yeah. but, but again, you know, thinking about strategies of how to cope with it, 
I spent a week doing Qigong. Mm. And I'm 100% sure that that's what helped. So yeah. working with, with the body, with movement, with breath, being able to recenter and realign my energy was, yes. I think, is what helped me. Otherwise, you know, you can see how something like that could even be turned into PTSD, you know, because it was an extreme situation. Mm -hmm. tra for me, traumatic trauma is a difficult thing to define, but often it's about where your nervous system is, goes off its yeah. scale. But um, yeah, I'm sure that my the strategies that I know helped me. Yeah, to, yeah, to yeah. get from in both of those situations, yeah. Wow. Um, I'm curious about your experience on sets. I mean, I've been on set as a bystander, really. Um, but it's what's always interested me is watching these sort of hundreds of people combine in a short, on the whole, a relatively short, when you care, com compare it with an organization, you know, you've got a project, it's got a beginning and a middle and an end, and it involves a lot of people. And they're together creating something. What do you notice about the pressure in that sort of environment? And how do you notice, particularly directors or people who are leading on that? When have you seen it work really well? What is it that those leaders have been doing in those sort of pressure moments, Amanda, that you would strike as that's that's really helpful. A lot of it's connected with money. You know, if you're working on a big project, then there's money for support. And if the director is supported by the production team or by the first AD or by a whole layer of people, then um, I've witnessed that where, and they're high, high end productions where there, there's a lot of money and that's calm, it's realistic about what can be achieved in a day, maybe two minutes. You know, maybe you know even less sometimes, and and everybody is in a productive environment of doing their job. Everybody knows their job, and nobody feels necessarily pressured. But you know, time is given for lights to be set up. Time is given for um, some the director to talk to the actors. And I think the key to that is, yeah, you, you support the support network has been there. Um, and very often that is connected with not only experience, but but maybe money. Um, mm -hmm. Where that I've witnessed less uh, successful or less uh, calm environments is where everybody's under pressure to achieve too much in one day. You've got 21 days or 28 days to shoot an entire feature. It's not enough, you know, but you do it because you've only got a budget of two or three million, which might sound absolutely an enormous amount of money. But in the scale of the amount of people mm. that's being employed and the post-production and the production, I mean, it's, it's actually really, really not a lot of money. And, um, mm. and so that uh, spiral of one person, be it the producers getting a little bit worked up to that then has an effect on the director and then the director is distressed with something it has an effect on the whole team and so the minute one thing goes wrong and the more ambitious you know when you've got a crane and you're in a, a street which has got ordinary people that live there yeah. and so all of that adds to complexity so I suppose I have been in environments where everybody's been rushed and it's not a good it's not good for anybody 
all I can do in that situation, the last film I was with, I was working with the director mainly, was just let's just come up with the solutions. You know, we're not going to be able to shoot that scene now. Okay, all right, no problem. Let's see if we can do it tomorrow or mm. let's take in that shot. So come up with strategies that can help to alleviate the, the problem. This is all escalating into madness, right? Okay, stop, stand back a little bit. Now, if I'm working as a director's kind of assistant or working closely with them as this last one I was, then we were able, like there was one particular time where there was a problem over a location and it was possibly we won't be able to shoot the scene. So I said, well, let's come up with a strategy, which means we can shoot it, which might mean you have to shoot in a different way. You might lose some shots, so you might, but let's come up with that. And then we'll go and present that, which we did. And then we, we, we all worked out. So it's just keeping your cool, but also always coming up with other ways. There's always other ways to do something. You know, there's not just one way. But then also learn this thing like tomorrow, let's not put five scenes on. It's not possible. But then when you're under pressure to shoot it, it escalates. Yeah, it's... Uh, and you must be tempted to overpromise. Well, I'm not ever in those situations. If I'm not a producer, I'm not in the position to make decisions. And because I have produced, I think I, there's no way I would do that particular thing in that way. Mm. All I can do is just to keep it calm and just be open to the possibility that things might change and be adaptable, really. If you had to say to somebody who is feeling under pressure or nervous, what would be a typical sort of routine that would allow that person to get back into choice? First would be breath. So it would be just observe what your breath, what is happening with your breath? Where is it placed? Is it in the upper part of the body? What's the speed of it? Usually if you're getting worked up, it's quite, it's quite quick usually, and it will probably be upper bodied. So it'll be up in your chest. So place your hand on your diaphragm, breathe into your diaphragm. People don't really realize where the diaphragm is and they often put their hand on their stomach. If it's not, it's higher up. It's just by the ribs. So you place your hand there. Just let your let your hand just move so you can feel it. And Or place your hand on your tummy and breathe into your hand. Or place your hands with the palms down and breathe down. Then start to notice the tension in your body. So is, does it feel like your shoulders are rising? Does it feel like your joints are, are locked? Uh, usually they will be, then just start to move. Move is a really important thing. As soon as you start to move, even if it's just shake, I mean, what do animals do when they're stressed? They shake. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a primal thing to do. So move your body, have a stretch, have a breath, you know, take a breath in, just rock your weight back and forth through your feet, do a little circle through your feet, open up, because usually, again, if you're tense, you've gone rigid. If you feel embarrassed in front of people doing it, move to somewhere where it feels yeah. okay. Movement is very important. Just give yourself a little bit of a loosen off. Um, yeah. Step away from where you are. Just take a minute. That's a really important thing to do to prevent things escalating is like to stop the situation if it's confrontational and say, okay, I'm stopping there. I'm just going to take a minute. Walk away from it go and just recalibrate, so to speak, and then come back in. If you like, change the rhythm of the exchange. When you change the rhythm, things become mm. different, you know, so so move move away to do something to yourself, but also to change the dynamic of what's happening in the, in the environment. And in terms of yourself, because you're giving out a lot and you're being that calming mechanism for so many people, mm. what are your absolute non-negotiables for you to be at your best i'm a planner 
I mean, even though I've been doing this for a long time, I plan everything, you know, so if, I, if I'm doing a workshop or a class or I'm doing a one-to-one -one session, I will always ask for the material the day before, at least minimum. I will always come up with an angle of that I feel confident I know that I can present something. I can, I know the material. If I'm teaching a class, again, even though I've been doing it for years and years, I will always plan it. I think about possibilities, I write it into a structure, into a plan, I write it down, I convert that to memory, I read it again, and then I often don't have to look at it. It's with me, but it's the writing down feels important. I've written it and that's helped me to remember what's next. Planning is, is a thing, but then I also practice Qigong daily. It might not be for ages, but I'll do it. So I'll stand, I'll, I'll become aware of how my body is and I notice how my breath is and think, oh, that's interesting. So I do, I do that as well. Right. Would you, if it was an ideal day, would you do that first thing? Sometimes you say, because I'm teaching, often I'm doing it with the people anyway. Uh, so I send a yes. bit, but it's very different because you're not focused on yourself when teaching. If you focus on yourself, it's very easy to go into some kind of meditative state where you forget that you're in the room yes. <laughs> with the group yes. of people and yeah. get lost. So yeah. I kind of like, don't close my eyes. If I close my eyes, I might have gone somewhere. Yeah. So um, no, I don't have a regular time actually. You know, if I'm not working very much like I've been, then I, I might do a morning session. But um, if I go to the gym, I take myself to the corner and I just do a few sequences. It probably looks bonkers, but mm. I don't really mind. And in terms of your, I mean, the actors that you work with, mm. how do you help them manage the pressure of not being in work or the pressure of going for a, for a job and not knowing if they're going, you know, that that whole sort of, waiting game that a lot of actors feel you know when you think that a lot of the messages that you know when I'm talking to people about pressure it's about control what you can there's so much in that profession that you have no control over mm. so how do you deal with the pressure of not having control over your destiny it's very very hard and I I don't necessarily live in that because I am usually always working, but prep, you do your best, you try and let it go. And it's knowing that most of the time it is not to do with you. There's so many decisions up the chain mm. to do with producers, usually the people mm. who mm. front it and bring the money in. And often it is not to do with you. It's to do with other other things if you can get feedback it helps but I think it's also about trying to train the mind all of us I'm sure have moments where some negativity oh it was me I wasn't good I'm not good enough I'm yeah I'm the worst person actor in the world it's like well that can come across but don't let don't attach to it also being um I'm a I'm a massive fan of praising yourself being almost like in a mantra of I did that really yeah. well I do it to myself and I often yeah. say it out loud oh well yeah. done that was good yeah so obviously when they've got someone to work with it's good to have someone that says well that tape was brilliant and also be a creator you know create your own stuff and yeah. we can't control this industry but you can control your own creativity you can say yes. that you write something or do something like every day that reminds yourself that you're an actor and that might be reading a script it might be mm. doing half an hour's training or voice or of movement it might be connecting with someone it might be going to a class remind yourself of that and keep your craft going up 
it is very hard to get to the last one or two people and you don't get it it is very very hard because you don't get a medal if you're in the second if you if you're in a race you'll get a silver but you won't and it's very very hard (laughs) to face that and you know have a, a support system you know of family friends and that's important that it's like it's it's your job but there are other things that are really important in life and being with people and not being so it's important it's what you do but there are other things that you do that are also important so have other pursuits I would say um so it, it is a challenge, you know, every year I, I start with a new group at, at the drama school I work at and I think, oh, this, they know what they're entering into. Mm. And it, it's just be a creative artist and creativity means that you might get rejected. But then keep going, you know, just think it, it's self-belief is very important that you are good at what you do. You have to believe, you, to a sense that you do need to have an ego. But, Which is but, why your whole thing about telling yourself when you've done something good, um, you know, to counter the negativity, the, you know, oh, yeah. the, least the thoughts, you have to have something that's concretely in opposition to it, you know, like you reminding yourself what you've done, yeah. banking your successes, yeah, you know, yeah. all it, yeah. is, it has to be a deliberate practice, doesn't it? But it has to be trained, you know, letting it yeah. go, let it go, let it go. It's just, oh, okay, it doesn't really matter. Uh, well it does no it does today but tomorrow it won't you know so let it let it go but feel the distress and the and the upset feel that because that's important but then let it pass and on onward what's next that's really vital but that comes with being a live in the present rather than oh what if I'd have done that went in the room and they didn't Mm -hmm. you know you don't know how people respond to you you could say that was terrible but you don't know that it was terrible you know so until someone says actually that really was terrible you don't know (laughs) that it was yeah so you just have got to you again you prep you do as much as you can to be as good as you can how do athletes get as as good as they do? They work so hard mm-hmm. because the competition is so furious. And mm-hmm. when I've worked with people that are really good at top of the game, they don't drop it. No. You know, they're still they're still working. You know, they're still practicing. They're still going to class. They're still investing in their craft. You've never got it. You always have to keep going at trying. And confidence is important, but you know, the other thing that's important is. If you see somebody that you feel will offer you something, hey, you know, like, oh, what will they think? Can I, don't give yourself, don't think I haven't got permission to approach someone. What are they going to do? They can either say yes or no, you know, do it. In my experience, the people that are extremely successful are not necessarily the best. No. Oh, God, I know. So, you know, be confident and think I'm self-reliant. I can only deal with myself and say, you did a good job then. Yeah. So great, I've done what I can, maybe next time. What you're saying, what you're reminding me of, confidence is an output, it's a result, isn't it? It's not something that you can imagine. It, confidence comes from doing something. So you need to recognise what you've done in order to be able to... That's true, but you know you can behave in a confident way. If you're actor, you can say, like, I'm not yes. really, really, I'm absolutely shy, I'm, I'm like a mouse. But actually, when I'm going in to meet those people, I'm not. I'm pretending to be like the most boldest person and that is attractive neediness is not we all know that from being human beings that you know someone's oh someone's needy it's not most of us would reject neediness 
But yeah. boldness and success is <laughs> a la Tom Cruise. It's attractive and people like it. And it means, yeah. and it might not be true that you are the best actor, but actually you walk in the room and you can convince somebody by your behavior. So pretend yes. you're confident, you know, yeah. go in there and pretend and, and so just, agree. just, and just be that person who, who physically walks yeah. in and says, this is my job. Yeah. I'm going to go in and take it. Oh, I have a question. What would it be like for you, and I'm asking myself the same question here, if you took up Amanda's challenge of doing something every day that connects you to who you are, to what you truly love doing? She mentioned how important it is for an actor to be a creator and to every day actively choose to do things that remind themselves of exactly that, that they're an actor and a creator, to train the mind to deal with the uncertainty when their success is so often dependent on things they can't control. I would say that many of us can relate to that in various ways, but if you're listening to this and you're a leader, what would it be like to commit to doing something every day that reminds you of the leader that you want to be? And I'm not talking about the day-to-day -day tactical and strategic choices. I'm talking about the identity and legacy part of your leadership. Sometimes the pressure of uncertainty can be released when we focus on the energy of personal purpose and legacy. That's something we can control. And the thing is, it has to become an intentional practice. I'm going to ask you the final two questions, which I always ask guests, which is out of all of the things that you know, what two things would you offer to anyone listening to this who would like to be better under pressure? I would say, listen to your body. Really listen to your body and get in touch with your body and have some strategies and resources that help you to manage your uh, those times where pressure can can absolutely get hold of you and the other thing i think is practice being present how do you practice being present would you say well i have a a thing where i have four stages of listening you receive you interpret you evaluate you respond interpret an evaluation so we look at something and, and repeat the words or repeat you know so be in be inquisitive listening is not just about what you hear it's, it's a sensory thing practice with your senses practice to be acute and aware of your environment practice listening to things in a different way you know when you're doing something so simple what's the sensation that you do when you wash your hands it's all about being a little bit more attentive to yourself and therefore to others. I'm absolutely not very good to be in a social situation because I'm so fascinated by people that I just <laughs> stare at them. I think that's so interesting. I was on the train today. There was a man standing. It was quite a busy train. He was standing uh, and he was just standing in a normal way. And then two young women got on, very attractive young women. And I saw his eyes go to them. And honestly, his posture opened up. He put his hands on the rail, his legs opened. I just thought that it's just hilarious. <laughs> He's totally not conscious of the fact that he has just said, hey, here I am. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> you know, so listening and watching. Watching is also, you know, think about the senses and include all of the senses in the way in which you listen rather than just, I'm just listening to what you say and begin yeah. to read, you know, so it's about reading in a different way. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's okay. It's been it's okay. fabulous talking to you. Great. Particularly and after you. so and many you. years. Huh? Uh, yes, and you. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thanks, Amanda. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Better Under Pressure with me, Sarah Milne-Rowe. If you enjoyed it, please do subscribe and let us know what you found useful or what you'd like to know more about. Our aim is to share as many examples as possible of what people do to manage pressure for better and turn it into a positive relationship. If you're interested in any of the practices mentioned, check out my book, The Shed Method, or alternatively, you can find us at Coaching Impact or me on LinkedIn and Instagram. Better Under Pressure was produced by the fab team at Smart Cookie Media. Thanks so much for listening and until next time, goodbye.